So if this is your first time at River Ridge, or maybe you haven't been around in a little while, we're in this series called uh, Wiser. And we're talking about how God gives us this blueprint for how to live life in a bunch of different areas. But I think as we all, if we were to look back over our lives, there are times we'd look back and we'd say, I didn't make a wise decision. And it could be that you didn't make a wise decision because you knew the right way and you just chose immediate gratification instead. Or it could be, as you look back, you know, you had one too many drinks out of a red Solo cup and you made a bad decision out of that when you were living in Morgantown. It could be that. But sometimes, not saying that's for you, I'm just saying that happens. But it also could be that you just didn't have the information at the time that you need to have. You, you, there was pieces of wisdom that you didn't have to make a good decision. And so what we're doing over the course of this series is we're saying, what is some wisdom from God's word that we can put into our lives so that we can make better decisions going forward into the future? And so the area of life that we're going to talk about this morning is money. And so for some of you, this is going to be a good reminder, a good refresher of maybe what you've already learned along the way. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be new or brand new information from what God's Word says about handling our money. Uh, and for some of you, as you hear the principles that I'm going to share, for some of you, you may wish you could go back in time and say, man, I wish I knew that three years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, because it would have saved me a lot of pain and heartache. And, and I don't have the formula to go back in time to do that, but I do know that when we start applying God's principles now, it affects our future. I also know, having been around the block a couple times, when I say we're talking about money, that some of you, most of you, a few of you, I'm not sure how many are going, oh, it's a giving sermon. I better hold on to my wallet, brace myself. I don't want this, right? And I want to assure you, you can let go of your wallet. This is not going to be a giving sermon. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, giving just as a part of it, as a part of a bigger thing, uh, but it's not that. It's really just about what God says about how we handle the money that we have, the money that he has given to us. Um, and so what I'm going to do, just to give you kind of where we're going, is I'm going to share with you five principles from God's Word on how to handle money. And what I have done is I've phrased each of these in a way that I think might be a little bit memorable. I guess you'll have to be the judge of that. Uh, but I'm going to share with you five principles that if you will remember these and put them into practice will make a difference in, in terms of your future, in terms of your interaction with money and life and so forth. Now, each of these principles is going to be a what principle. What do I do or how do I handle my money? But I think one of the things that's very good to ask is what's the why behind the what? So I'm going to share the what's. I'm going to share the how's. But I want to start with why are these important? And so I'm going to give you two why's. The first reason why is this. If, if you're a Christian, how you handle your money is honoring or can be honoring to God. Now, what we often do in life is we separate <clears throat> life into the, sec into the sacred and the secular, into the spiritual and not spiritual. And so in the spiritual, we say, well, that spiritual is going to church and reading your Bible and praying and, and things like that, you know, and then the, the secular or the non-spiritual is like, you know, what you do with your house or your work or how you drive or your money or those kinds of things. But what we see as we look at the Bible is that really everything in life falls under the authority of God, which makes everything in life 
sacred, or everything in life spiritual. And so the handling of our money is under the authority of God. And so how you handle your money can be honoring to God, or it can be dishonoring to God. It can be pleasing to God, or it can not be pleasing to God. So that's the first reason. The second is this, um, is if you follow what God's word says, it will bring you peace in your life in terms of peace with finances. And here's the thing is, this is true whether you're a Christian or not. That if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've just camp, come with a friend, hey, check out my church, and you're kind of interested in Jesus and finding out more about that. Even if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, following God's principles, because they're God's principles, they're wisdom principles for life, following these will help you to have financial peace down the road in your life. So, I'm going to give you five principles. Uh, and again, I've put them in kind of my own words, and then I'll tell you where each of them come from in terms of biblically. So the first one is this, is tell your money where to go. Tell your money where to go. Telling your money where to go means you have a plan for how you want to spend your money. Here's the verse, this, here's where this comes from. This is Proverbs 21, verse 5. It says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Saying the difference, and, and all throughout the book of Proverbs, it's, it talks about this is what the wise person does, and this is what the foolish person does. But the difference between the wise and the foolish is the wise person is diligent about how he handles his money, but the foolish person is hasty when it comes to his money and spends without thinking. Now, when we talk about this principle here of tell your money where to go, some of you are sort of on board or you're like, he's talking about the B word. I know he's going to talk about the B word, the B word being budget, right? And so when you hear the word budget, for some of y'all, you're like, mm-hmm, that's inspired preaching right there. Preacher, we love the budget, mm-hmm. And for some of you, you're like, I'd prefer to get a root canal than to have to live on a budget. I won't make you raise your hands on which side that you are on on that one. Um, but the thing is, I think budgeting sometimes gets a bad rap because it feels very restrictive. Like, I don't like living on a budget because it just feels like confining and restrictive. But in fact, the purpose of a budget or telling your money where to go, telling your money what to do, is intended to be freeing. And I'll give, give you an example from Stacy and I in our married life. When we were first married, I was like, hey, we need to live on a budget. And I was, you know, kind of really into that. And she's like, I don't, I don't know about that. That seems kind of restrictive. I don't know, but I'll get on board and we'll see how it goes. And I can remember the first thing that we kind of intentionally budgeted for to save for was a couch, right? And so we were, you know, new in marriage. We had hand-me-down furniture from everybody and a couple of wedding gifts kind of thing. That's what was our, you know, everything in our house. But we put away $100 a month when we were first married to buy a couch, right? And so we kept saving up that money. And so after six months, we're like, we could buy this couch for $600. And we kept saving, kept saving. And then after a year, we're like, we could spend $1,200 on a couch. And again, this was 30 years ago. It probably went farther than it does today. Today, you could like, you can buy an ottoman, very small, for $1,200. Um, but it was one of those things where we, we bought the couch that we had saved for, and like, we can get any couch that we want that fits under the amount that we have saved. And so it was a very freeing thing. And, and even as we sat on that couch, we're like, we paid cash for this. This is 
great. It was freeing. Now, when we have this phrase, it says, tell your money where to go. Some of you probably are thinking, and I kind of thought this too, even as I wrote it this down, it's like, well, don't we always tell our money where to go? And But we're always, we always tell our money where to go. Nobody, you know, steals our money from us, so to speak, or that very rarely happens. But we're always telling our money where to go. But let me tell you, kind of share two stories uh, about two guys. One, his name is Planning Pete, and the other guy, his name is Hasty Harry. Comes from the um, the proverb that we just looked at. So Planning Pete, he tells his money where to go, uh, and so every month he tells some of his money to go into a savings account that he's setting aside for vacation, right? And so summer comes and he decides, we're going to go on vacation. Okay, you get to play a part of this story. So where does Planning Pete want to go on vacation? Somebody shout out. Where's he going? Aruba. The beach. Okay, we're going to the beach. Everybody goes to Myrtle Beach. It's like West Virginia Southeast, right? Okay, so he's, he decides he's going to go to the beach. He's going to get his family there. And so uh, he, you know, he pays for a condo. He pays for his you know, $40,000 in gas to drive down there and and I forgot his easy pass, so he pays $4 every time he drives south. And they play putt-putt golf, and they go out for dinner. And he pays for the whole thing because he has saved up over the year. And they go on vacation. And he tells his money what to do. And Planning Pete is very excited about that. But then he also has a friend, uh, and his name is Hasty Harry. And Hasty Harry has been hasty with his money. And so a commercial pops up, and he's like, ooh, I want the new Apple Watch. And then he's like, ooh, wow, I got paid. I'm going to go out for lunch this week. And he goes out three or four times uh, for lunch that week. And he buys a bigger and better flat screen. And summer comes, and he too wants to go to Myrtle Beach. And so he spends the same amount of money with his, uh, his condo and his tolls and his playing putt-putt golf and all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't have enough money to, to pay for it. And so he slides his credit card everywhere he goes. And so for the next four to six to eight months, he's paying off his credit card, right? But in that case, Hasty Harry has not told all of his money where to go. That Mr. Visa or Mr. MasterCard or Mr. American Express has told his money where to go, right? Because he's paying for the condo, but he's also paying his interest on the condo. He's paying for putt-putt golf, but he's also paying for the interest on putt-putt golf. In that case, he hasn't told his money where to go. So the principle for us is when you have a budget, you can live in such a way that you tell all of your money where to go with intention. All right, that's the first one. Here's the second one. Sometimes you have to get a four for four. Here's where this comes from. There we go, okay? Sometimes you have to get a four for four. I assume that most, let's put the picture back up there. Let's just, just for fun. Okay. So I just walk about, so everybody understands that what a four for four is, right, from, from Wendy's. So you get four things. You get French fries. You get um, chicken nuggets, very little chicken in there. Um, you get a, a Coke, and then you either get a, a small chicken sandwich or a, a, a hamburger, right? You can take that off, right? So we know what a four for four is. Now, if you're taking notes, there's actually a longer version. You may want to write this down. You may want to write this down. Okay? Sometimes you have to get the four for four, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you can't. You're going to want to write this down, I'm telling you. Sometimes you have to get the four for four, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you can't. I want to unpack this principle for us. There have been three phases of the Satan 
life, okay, when it comes to the 444 and money. The, and I'm going to start with phase two. Phase two was the phase of life that if we wanted to get Wendy's for our family, we had to go and get to Wendy's, and we had to get their four for four, right? Because there's six of us in our family, right? And so if you take the family to Wendy's, you get the four for four, it's going to be about $24. Thank you, plus tax. Appreciate that. Yep. So 24, 25 bucks. If you go through the drive-thru in a family of six, and everybody's like, I'll take the number one combo. I'll take the number seven combo. I'll add a Frosty. I'll add a chocolate chip cookie. I'll add it, right? I'll take the special iced tea, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can run out of there with, you know, 60, 70 bucks, no problem, right? So we, that was phase two of our life. We would always get the four for four combo if we went through Wendy's, if we went to Wendy's, because we wanted to live within our means. That was phase two. Phase three of four for four is where we're living now. And, and I kid you not, there was like an epiphany. I was going to Wendy's by myself through the drive-thru. I'm like, all right, getting the four for four like I always do. And then I realized I can afford a number one combo. <laughs> this is going to be amazing, right? And as I'm waiting for the people in front of me to order, I'm like, I could even get a chocolate chip cookie, right? And so I did because I was rich so to speak. I could afford to do that. I could still get the number one combo and live within my means, okay? So sometimes you have to get the four for four, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can afford more, but the third is this, and sometimes you can't. There was a phase in our lives, and I call this phase one of four for four living in the Santon family. When we didn't have a whole lot of money, I was working Stacy was staying home with the kids full-time, and it was that phase of life where we were in the minivan driving our kids around all the time. We would drive them to soccer practice, baseball practice, dance practice, I mean, you name it, the YMC, we were driving everywhere. And I tell you, when you've got little kids, and they see a Wendy sign, like, there are a lot of Wendy's in Charleston. Like, everywhere we go, they're like, there's a Wendy's. Can we stop, Mom? Can we stop, Dad? We're like, no. How about just the four for four? No. How about just the, you know, fries for a dollar? No, right? And we said no a lot, and our kids asked a lot. I don't know why they didn't get it, but they, they didn't. But that was what I call kind of phase one, two, and three of our lives. It was, we couldn't afford to stop at Wendy's every time they asked because it wasn't living within our means. Now, some of you at this point are like, I'm done with the four for four illustration. Like, Matt, you are way too obsessed with it. Um, and I might be, however, I will say this. I hope you're watching. My son Will, this is so embarrassing. My son Will has a four for four tattoo on his leg. I'm like, really? Who does that? Whoever had bad parenting there. Bad parenting. Text him, call him, shame him. That's ridiculous. So perhaps we are too obsessed with the four for four in the Santa household. <laughs> but here's the thing is I don't want you to get lost in the four for four. I want you to see the bigger illustration than it is. Because we could use any example there. We could say sometimes you need to drive a minivan. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can afford to get a four-door pickup truck. You guys running out to get a little Wendy's? Bring me a number seven combo. (laughs) 
here's the thing. Sometimes you have to drive a, a minivan, right? But sometimes you can afford a nice newer car than that, and that's okay. But sometimes you can't, and sometimes all you can afford is the hand-me-down beater five-seater that you got from your grandma, right? It's about living within your means, and sometimes you got to go with it, and sometimes you can afford more, and sometimes you can't afford it at all, right? And we could take all kinds of illustrations. We could talk about the cell phone that you have. We could talk about the cable, TV, internet package that you have. We could talk about the flat screen TVs that you have. We could talk about the house that you live in. Sometimes you just need to live in a four for four house. And sometimes you can afford more and you have a big yard and a three car garage. And sometimes you got to live in a small two bedroom apartment because that's all you can afford. It's about living within your means. It does come from the Bible, not just from Wendy's. First Timothy chapter six says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. What he's saying is that we need to learn to be content with what we have. We need to learn to be content to live within our means. Because godliness with great contentment is great gain. That's where peace is found. If I'm godly and I have contentment with what I have, that's where peace lives. And I encourage you to live that way, to follow God's principle. And maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're like, I'm not content with what I have. I need to have a little more. I need to have a little bit more. I think one of the myths that we often buy into is if I made more money than I. If I made more money, then I would be more generous financially. If I made more money, I wouldn't be in debt. If I made more money, I could get ahead financially. If I made more money, the fact is, is you watch people who kind of live in that myth, every time they make more, they start spending more and they spend over. And it's not about making more, it's about learning to be content and living within the means that you have. All right, here's the third principle. Uh, and this one, by the way, is primarily uh, aimed toward married people, although it kind of works with parents and children. Uh, it's this. is get on the same page before you hit each other with the book. Okay? Get on the same page before you hit each other with the book. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 says this. <clears throat> However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So obviously that doesn't talk directly about money, but it does talk about and speak to the husband-wife relationship. The number one cause of divorce is over financial matters. 30 to 40% of marriages end over money disagreements. And such things as credit card debt, differing priorities, um, impulse buying. And here's a new term for me uh, this week, uh, and I had to kind of look it up and read on in this article. It's financial infidelity. I'm like, what is financial infidelity? And financial infidelity is when one spouse is spending money and hiding it from the other spouse. Those are the types of things that contribute towards people's marriage ending over financial issues. And so the idea is to get on the same page before you throw the book at each other. In other words, before you get all mad and frustrated and angry with each other because you're trying to make a financial decision in the moment, get on the same page beforehand. Before something happens, 
decide ahead of time, this is how we're going to spend our money. This is what our financial life is going to look like. Because the time that, that husbands and wives fight and, and really struggle with this is when it's like, well, are we going to do this or are we going to do that? Because we don't have money to do both. Or we don't have the money for this because you did that before or because you did that before. Right? So get on the same page before you throw the book at each other. Stacy and I, or I, I kind of joke about Stacy and I, that we only fight about money once a year. Uh, we go on a budget date every year, and we say, hey, this is how we're going to tell our money how to be spent. Um, and we do that because it helps us when it comes to spending, that, it's, that we're not fighting over little things or even big things, because we've already decided, okay, we're going to have this much spent on, I don't know, flowers that Stacy likes to buy that are dead in three weeks. Like, why would we do that, right? You know, or we say, you know what? There's money for you to buy a new scooter. I don't know why I have to go ride around that little red thing all the time with your little helmet on. She doesn't say that. It doesn't work like that. But I'm just making light of the, there's things that I like and things that she likes. And we fight about it once a year. We work it out once a year. We get on the same page. And, and the point is this. The point is not be like Matt and Stacy and have a budget date once a year. The point is this is be on the same page. Decide ahead of time, at a time that it's not right in the middle of a fury or an issue, so you're on the same page. Here's the fourth one, is don't serve God leftovers. Don't serve God leftovers. Back in January, January 30th, if you want to look this up, uh, I did a message on giving, so I don't want to spend too much time here, but it was in the sermon series called Four Reasons Why, and it was four reasons why to give. Um, but the verse that comes from is this. This is Proverbs chapter 3. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So the writer of Proverbs says, honor God with your first fruits. Give God the first portion of your income, not what is left over at the end. And it's interesting, and why I wanted to include this, and again, I didn't want to make this a giving sermon, but I wanted to, you to see the principle that's at work here. Because the second part it says, he says, then, so when you give to God first, opposed to giving God leftovers, when you give to God first, he says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He's saying that when you give to God first, you will have enough to live on. And, and that that principle in action, it's not like this kind of magical, mystical formula, like when I give to God, then I'm going to play the lottery, and I'm going to win the lottery. Or when I give to God, all of a sudden extra money is going to appear in my bank account. It's not that kind of thing. It really kind of goes back to this whole idea of having a plan. <clears throat> that when we give to God first, by necessity, we need to have, figure out where's the rest of my money going to go. It helps us to set that kind of precedent for life, when we give to God, then we plan better about where the rest of it goes. It's a wisdom principle. Here's the fifth one, <clears throat> is give to your future self. Give to your future self. What that means is setting aside money for the future for when it's needed. Proverbs 21.20 says this, <clears throat> precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. And what this is talking about is saying, in a wise man's dwelling, there's treasure stored up. There are vats. There are things that are there, oil for the future. Another kind of paraphrase puts it this way. It says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. 
You know, a big part of our lives when it comes to stress is because we don't have the money to do what we need to do or to do what we want to do, right? And that stress of today comes from whatever happened a year ago or three years ago or five years ago, right? Because if we give three or four or five years ago to our future self, now when the car breaks down and I thought, you know, it was going to be a $100 repair and I take it to the mechanic and it's going to be a $700 repair. But because my self back in the past gave to my future self, which is now, I have the money to make the repair in my bank account. I don't need to worry about it. And we can extend that to all kinds of different things, but this idea of give to your future self. I'm not a financial professional money manager by any means, uh, but a rule of thumb that I've heard uh, in different places is this. It's follow the 10-10-80 principle. Give 10% to God, give 10% to savings, and live on the rest. Live on the 80%. 10-10-80. It's a good place to start if you want to kind of look for a plan. I want to finish by putting all five of these principles uh, up on the screen. Tell your money where to go. Sometimes you have to get a four for four. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can't. Get on the same page with, with each other before you throw the book at each other. Don't serve God leftovers and give to your future self. As we talk about application, I want to kind of give you two thoughts. And maybe you're going to do one of these, or maybe you're going to do both of these. But as you look at this list, I want you to think in terms of incrementalism. Because sometimes you can look at a list like that, and you're like, man, I'm so far away from doing any of that. And you kind of give up. But pick something on there and go, you know what, I can increase it incrementally. Say, you know what I do now? Like, I just give a dollar a month to the dollar club. Or I just give 50 bucks a month. And that's, man, I look at my income, and that's probably like a half a percent. And maybe I'm going to start giving 1% or 2%. And then next time I get a raise, I'm going to raise that to 3%. And then a year later, I'm going to raise that to 4%. And, and you can do this. The same with saving. Say, well, I'm not saving anything now. Well, do a portion of save now. Or save $100 or whatever it is. But do that incrementally. Here's the other way to look at this in terms of getting to an application. Is ask yourself the question... If you started doing one of those five things, or if you really paid close attention to doing one of those five things, which of those would make the biggest difference in your life? Which of those would bring about the most peace in your life? Or to put it just a little bit differently, which of those things, if you pick just one of these to do, which of those would be the most honoring to God as you live your life according to the principles that he gives? So I encourage you to take some time, take some thought, have those in mind and say, where does God want me to go next when it comes to my finances? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you just for the opportunity to share these principles. And uh, Lord, I know that for some here, it's exactly what they needed. Um, and for some, it's something that, to, that, that is looking back with regret, saying, why didn't I do this? But God, I know that you are a God of graciousness and a God of forgiveness, but you're also a God of a hope and a future. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to put these principles into practice, that we might honor you, and that we might have financial peace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.